Hello and welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here. On today's episode, Josie is back and she is solo hosting for her first episode back after maternity leave. Coming up, she will be chatting to theatre maker and author Alan Lane about his new book, The Club on the Edge of Town. But before we get to that, as always, a big thank you goes to our Patreon supporters. You can go to patreon.com slash bookshambles to support the podcast, get extended episodes and lots of extra goodies, including uh, we're opening up the archives of the incomplete map of the Cosmic Genome, which was a video magazine and app that Robin and I produced about Ooh, 10 years ago now with 150 plus exclusive interviews with all sorts of people about their relationship with science. And we have remastered those interviews in HD and made them available for Patreon supporters. Four of them are out already and they are with Steve Backshall and Faye Dowker and Matthew Cobb and Josie Long. So subscribe to Patreon and you can get access to those and all the other goodies as well. And one of those extra goodies for Patreon subscribers is throughout July, Josie is going to be doing some live online warm-up gigs of her brand new show called Reenchantment uh, that she'll be taking to the Edinburgh Fringe. So if you can't get up to Edinburgh or you're overseas or whatever, you can become a Patreon and be in the audience for one of those live stream shows. They're going to be numbered tickets and you'll join us on a Zoom call uh, so we can see and hear you hopefully laughing along as Josie tries out her new show. We're going to be doing that four times pretty much every Wednesday in July. So sign up at patreon.com slash bookshambles and you'll get an email very soon about how to reserve a place for one of those gigs. And finally, don't forget Robin's new podcast, Taking the Universe Around the World, where he is chronicling his world tour with Brian Cox on the Horizons tour. New episode of that has just gone up, where he goes to the Kurt Vonnegut Museum in Indianapolis, and then he and Brian head on to Chicago. So enough of all of that. Now let's get to today's episode with our special guest, Alan Lane, and welcome back, Josie Long. Hello, welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles. This is Josie flying solo because Robin isn't here. Um, and I'm so thrilled to welcome Alan, Alan Lane. See again, do you see? I got overexcited and nervous and flubbed your very simple name. I'm okay. so excited to welcome Alan Lane to the show. Um, Alan, hi. Um, thanks thanks for so much this. for having me. No, I, I, it's very exciting. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm thrilled. I'm such a fan of you and your work. And I, quite often we just talk about, oh, what books have you been reading? What do you love? And I will get into that, but I'd love to talk about your book a little bit. Um, your book is The Club on the Edge of Town, and it's a memoir that talks about your theatre company, but how, but kind of about your... Advent, your genre-defying adventures as yeah. um, an arts company, <laughs> and sort of it, it, to me, it's it's all about kind of how you can work politically as an artist and what it means and what it really means to be of service to your community and how that kind of um, develops and changes and 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 the learning curve that perhaps you guys went on and um, I, I don't even know where to start with asking questions. I'm I'm just 
desperate to talk to you about it, which is so annoying. This is where Robin's like, um, so the first question. <laughs> um, so I guess um, what I'd like to ask you about is the thing that I found really beautiful is how much you talk about it from the perspective of the best kind of community work is about kind of consistency and yeah. um, like this kind of service. But obviously, like, I do feel like as artists, there are parts of us that are like super showy and super kind yeah. of um, wanting prizes and presents and treats and stuff. <laughs> and how how do those yeah. two aspects of your work sort of interact with each other? So I suppose, um, so immediately, I think, uh, we refer to this kind of service as standing in the rain. So the idea is is that, that for far too long, people who sound and look an awful lot like me have come along and promised all sorts of communities and all sorts of groups of people, lots of things, and they're not really delivered. And and I think it's important to sort of note that not delivered quite reasonably, like mm. actually just gone, oh, it's really hard. Yeah. And, and, oh, and, I can't and, solve and, society. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, and oh, and then and that thing I think that's quite, quite, healthy and usual that people say hang on a minute me doing this is really costing me a lot and i've had a look and i've decided my work-life balance and my mental health and 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 that's perfect i'm not i'm not booing anyone for that but it's quite reasonable because because we know me and you know that we're not putting the right resources in so when when we say best practice there is no best practice we're a theater company that specializes in making outdoor theater covid came along and huge amounts of people were hungry best practice is not those people to open a food bank that is not best practice. Mm. That is flawed, failing practice. Oh, However, yeah, I'm sorry, before we even begin, I should say a little bit. So the, the memoir is about the fact that you take over the management of a working men's club that's been there for 150 years. Um, and, and in doing so, did in such a wonderful democratic way. But when the pandemic hit, you sort of unexpectedly found yourself developing into this community hub, this food bank, this way of redistributing local money. Yeah. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I yeah. think I should tell the audience. No, that. that's, that's important context. Uh, like, what are those two talking about? Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so we we had we managed this working men's club, which is brilliant. We're still owned by the members, and that is amazing and incredibly incredibly problematic because when 150 people decide to be in charge of anything, it's it's not the most efficient model, but it sure. is perhaps the best. So, we our job is to leverage our cultural capital in working for the BBC or the RSC or whoever else it is to bring the best cultural life to the people of Holbeck. And the people of Holbeck are best placed to decide what that is. It's not for me to say, oh, what you want is Josie Long and Robin Ince to come along. Actually, uh, they Which decide. is what they would want, but nonetheless, they, yeah. Definitely, they would. And <laughs> daily they demand it. Uh, <laughs> but so they decide, so that was going on before and then all of a sudden COVID hit and we realised that there is hunger. And so our, our argument to all our funders and to really to ourselves was, if our job is to give the best cultural life to the people of Holbeck and they're too hungry and they're too scared and they're too trapped in the houses to have any sort of cultural life, then the first thing we have to do is is an endeavour to attempt to fix that, fix that problem. So that's, we became a food bank and we immediately found that food banks were as problematic, complicated and challenging as any other political thing. The, mm -hmm. the food bank we took over from sort of delivered about seven food parcels a, a week in one of the poorest communities in, in England because the, the doorway you had to fit in to justify to get a food parcel was so unique that actually, I don't know how anyone ever did it. So we became what our, our, our comrades in the food bank world educated us is a non-means tested self-referral food bank, which basically means if you ask for food, you get it, mm. which is amazing. And 
uh, it meant that we went from seven to 400 in a week. Mm-hmm. So we were delivering 400 parcels a week. Cause, and, and there's two ways of looking at that, I think. And it tells me all about your worldview. Either everybody in Holbeck went, oh, there's these absolute idiots who are willing to give away free food. Or the bar in which you had to, to, to kind of get over to get food was so high that no one was getting over it. And and I, the second is is our worldview. Um, and oh, what well, also, but it's not just that. I felt like it was such a good case for kind of, universalism and how much it, yes. it, it makes so much more sense and I think you make the case a few times in the book where you're sort of saying like look until every child has got crayons I'm not going to be fussed about talking about opera or even just like I want everyone to have a piano like it's sort of saying that like yeah. look actually if you sort of behave with this kind of like everyone has this entitlement we will do everything we can and there's a brilliant part in the book where you're talking about someone coming in and saying well someone's been trying to sell one of your food bags and you're like mm. yeah well fine yeah. yeah i mean i mean they're not going to because everybody in the in town knew that you get one for free so you yeah. i mean that I, we kind of screwed capitalism right there <laughs> yeah and that's the dream really <laughs> yeah all we're ever hoping for um I think, I mean, we spend £500 million worth of money, public money on the arts in this country. And uh, and the, the children that in the primary school around the corner don't have books. They don't have, they don't have the most basic of cultural lives. And yet they live a mile and a half away from a, from an opera company and a, mm. and a ballet company and a producing theatre house. And, and as good as those organisations are, the structures that we live in mean that those kids, and this is the thing, it's cruel, it's, it's cruel. The people aren't cruel, but the system basically requires us to think that the kids of Holbeck wouldn't know what to do with it if they were given it. And they're never going to want it because, and and it requires us to think that they're less. And that just annoys the living monkeys out of me. Well, it's despicable. How dare people make distinctions about who might enjoy or appreciate certain types of art. But also it's, it's, um, it's bread and roses, isn't it? And and I think you're literally doing bread and roses. And to me, I think it's really interesting because it's like, as an artist, and it's something that I, I mean, my background is that me and my friends set up Arts Emergency, partly because mm-hmm. I was finding myself having this career as an artist and loving it, but feeling like I don't want to just have this cushy life where I don't do any service for like the yeah. community. Yeah. And how, um, and I think it's, what's really amazing about what you're doing is all of the people that you're working with, like the dance who go and do volunteering with highlighted people that you know the actors that you've got do different things it to me is like a model for what everyone would like really deep down and that is to do something you know that is a passionate artistic thing and also to work with the community and it's something that we're sort of almost like discouraged against it's like well choose a thing and especially something like arts you should be grateful you're doing a plan a career you know and actually it's like no as human beings we want to kind of contribute in different ways. And if the arts center could be a true community hub as well, like everything joins in with one another, you know? And I feel like that's what some of the projects you were talking about, uh, the actual theater projects that you managed to do during COVID did as well, like just by dint of the fact that of course it did, you know? Yeah, our job wasn't to be a food bank during COVID necessarily. Our job was to stay on mission, which was to give the people of Holbeck the best, cultural life now there were mm. day there were whole months where you couldn't bring people into a room so find we you know we we made shows for the internet like everybody else or we did drive-through shows or outdoor shows with headphones it, it's whatever it takes i think i think we're encouraged uh, especially as the performance artists in the country to go like what do you want what do you want and i go well i want 500 people to 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 
have a story that moves them. Yeah. Well, I kind of have to work out which 500 people I'm talking to, right? Mm. They, they say, we are of Holbeck. We are in service to Holbeck. And, and therefore, I mean, the most, and the irony is the most popular things at the Working Men's Club, opera and drag queens. Like every time <laughs> you make an opera with drag queens, you are in the money. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. Because yeah, opera is amazing. Yeah, right. And, and it's amazing how these things that we, that, oh yeah, I, someone once said to me, oh, you're working class, people won't get opera. And I was like, and they didn't mean it from a snobbish point of view. This was someone literally going like, you need to check your privilege because when you go and speak to people about opera, and I was like, what are you, what, what are you talking about? So there's a, so I think that, being in service doesn't reduce my art. I'm a I'm a moderately successful theatre director. I make big shows with hundreds of people in them. I mean I'm I'm in a community. Like there's a community, uh, there's a there's a company of 250. They are speaking to 400 people a night. That is those are series of communities. When people say, "Oh, I'm not a community artist," I go, "What are you doing? Mm. What, what? Who are you talking to then?" Like, um, but I it's would just say weird. Go but I, sorry, I would say for people of like I I would say our generation. It's been a real learning process to kind of understand what community is. Like we grew up in the like atomized, or I definitely grew up in the atomized isolation of like ninety uh, suburban conservatism. Like yeah. it, it, it's something that we were kind of really, really indoctrinated to believe was not necessarily a thing. I mean, I don't know whether that's true. My dad was very involved in the church and that was something that I was really a part of. But I do think that politically, you know, you have kind of the tail end of Thatcherism and you have this idea that actually, no, we're all like up and coming aspirational types. And that's yeah. that, you know? Yeah, I think anything beyond the market is is immediately suspicious. So so the idea of a working men's club is, over. I mean, like I say, the thing is riddled with asbestos and doesn't have a working heating system because, and you can directly see it, because it is led by hundreds of people who, who will pay, but it's providing a service in a community that doesn't have a functioning capitalist pub. Like it just doesn't, the community cannot sustain a pub, but it can sustain a working men's club. We're funded by um, the Arts Council of England for, you know, through the DCMS for all its, for all its issues, and we 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 run an entirely pay what you decide venue like we we every single thing whether you're hiring the flat upstairs the rehearsal room buying a ticket for a show anything you pay what you decide after the event and these things encourage a different way of and exactly like your father's church in different way of imagining what community means a different way of how how will we be holding to each other in a way that isn't customer and service provider mm -hmm. and they are immediately in the in the wider discourse seen as suspicious they are like, hang on, are you a Marxist? Well, I may or may not be, but at this point, I'm just giving opera to people. And the irony is, that's all that anyone's doing. The ENO isn't selling the tickets at market value. Opera North isn't selling the tickets at market value. They're subsidised. So they're doing exactly what I'm doing. They're just doing it in a slightly more um, grown up and suited way. And that, uh, but this idea of just trying to shift people from customer and make them be someone else. And in the food bank, that was... That was most obvious because there was just no need for money. There is so much food out there, Josie. Lorries of it would arrive that was going to go to waste. And, and our problem wasn't finding the food most of the time. Our, our problem was getting rid of it so we didn't have to pay for it to be destroyed. And, and Yeah, you, you had a really good part in the book about when you got pallets and pallets of these vegan burgers. That you basically had a day to get rid of because they were defrosting. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, and again, an example of how the market just doesn't make any sense. So there are Burger King 
vegan frozen burger, which when you slap it in a Burger King bun and put it on a fire, it's worth £4.50 or whatever. And yet these things, we if we didn't get rid of them by 1800 because we, we didn't have freezers, we're going to cost us £300 to destroy. So you, you have this weird where you're like, hang on. And everyone goes, well, the market value, market value, my bottom. Like the market value depends entirely on a whole number of things. Value isn't like concrete. And that, and the, so that, so much stuff would come there are, there are warehouses of food literally warehouses of food out there just waiting waiting for someone to work out how to get rid of them um and we and so we are purposefully chewing choosing to for people to be hungry that is a mm. choice we are societally making we're just not actively making it because it's all a bit complicated um there's an amazing man called adam smith who who, who runs the real junk food project and he is he's genuinely you know, like people talk about pioneers he is a real pioneer he is finding all sorts of ways of getting into the marketplace and finding tons of food and giving it to people um and he talks really really passionately about it. he's like i don't run a food bank i'm not i'm not trying to sell i i am doing this because it's the only environmentally sustainable way we are going to survive if we mm. stop food waste at this level and it's it's really fascinating to see how he comes at it from a different political point of view he, he he's not he, it's not for him a, a, a matter of food poverty it's about environmental sustainability two well, sides I'm of the same coin yeah, I always say that um, reality has a left-wing bias, which is that you once, I imagine, once you get to grips with how the food system works, you can't help but have, you know, you can't help but say, well, this is unsustainable, this is um, economic, uh, environmentally disastrous. Similarly, once you start to administer um, a, a food bank, once you start to get to grips with the reality of where poverty is you can't then hold conservative frameworks in your brain about it because it's not the truth of what's happening or what ought to be done yeah the people who say to me um oh, so we gave away uh, 15,202 food parcels in 15 months that was our stint. we spent all of our money we like an amazing internet campaign but like we were done we just at the end of it we were broke and broken mm. and then you tell people the stories and they go and the people go, ah, oh, right. So uh, yeah, so I get you. You gave a lot of food away to people who didn't need it. You're like, have you ever delivered for a food bank? Like, what? The, what are you talking about? Like, like you, you have absolutely no. In the end, I was, uh, you know, there was a team of four of us who who did this, and I was hiding away in the in the in the bit where we're uh, connecting, you know, the addresses to food parcels because I could not stand it any longer. So you would go to places and be like, oh my god, this we, you know, you're trying to stop a flood with a bath plug it just mm -hmm. but that was our job and i but i could not bear to witness it any longer the state of victorian poverty like like cinematic cliche poverty and despair and we and and the people and the and we're having an argument where people say it doesn't exist and those people have never been there it's extraordinary how um that entire argument is based not only on a false uh, opposition it's just like by ignorance just like well i read an article great Stop reading articles. Mm -hmm. um, it's it was it was so depressing how little impact we were going to have, despite the fact that we genuinely had given all. Like we, you know, we had been as inventive and as creative and as robust, and at times just you know aggressive. <laughs> we we we're quite a sort of um, chopsy theatre company. We're forever in battle with people, and we'd only been a food bank for five minutes before we found ourselves going, "Oh man, maybe it's just us," <laughs> because. These systems have this sort of need to, to ignore yeah. well, other people's pains. It was like you were saying why you're not a charity, because the way that 
charities have been so hamstrung and so deliberately kind of gagged and silenced and so deliberately kind of well literally charity is no substitute for justice withheld like it's been put into place to stop people solving the problems not everywhere and and often people are using what's available to them to do what they can but at the same time i can totally see why you wouldn't be doing that i do you know what i found though i i really really loved in particular well firstly i just love the fact that in the book feels to me to be like an antidote to alienation and a an antidote to kind of it's like the step beyond feeling all the harm and the pain of the injustice is like okay right let's all pitch in and just see how much we can try but but also what i really enjoyed was at the end of the book you were talking in such positive terms about diffuse effects and about how you you might not ever be able to completely and concretely understand the effects of your action but those effects are nonetheless out there because i think a lot of people who perhaps want to get involved in politics get involved in direct action you know sometimes it can be so dispiriting if you're if your action or work is like based around more events or more like campaigns if you're losing you, you sort of feel a bit like oh what's the point and even to see you know that something where you are providing material change can still feel so frustrating and not enough just to yeah. know like actually every action you're taking is changing is is an intervention into somebody's life and yeah. is convincing to someone and will build I, I think it's so wildly important just to have that just to think of that and to know that yeah i i, I think that comes from the performance world i think that's mm. you know you go out and you mm. make a play and there's you know whatever uh, 150 people watching it and and you you know you often feel like oh, what am i doing in my life if i'm making telly then you know, four million people could see it. If I was making movies, then and actually, you don't know. There's there's a there's a great um there's a great a really old fashioned play called Close the Coal, Close the Coal House Door Pet, and it's about the sort of um a proper proper variety show. It's about the the the, the union movement in the miners in the northeast and how consistently they lost every time they went. Every time they went, they got the shit. The 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 they just got beaten, and then three or four years later, everything they were demanding happened. And then 10 years later, and then everything they were demanding happened. And then 10 years later, and actually, um, you have to hold the faith that, that you know, we're, we're making a show, we're, we're trying to talk about things, we're trying to, trying to get people to think about things, we're trying to suspend their disbelief so that they can have a political thought without the kind of pressures of the society we live in. And, but we have no idea. But the hope is that, you know, you keep going. And it's exactly why, you know, we wrote this book and put it out. The hope is... And, and the book is about our failure. The book isn't about, oh, and then we did this. The book is about how consistently we try to achieve more than we're doing. And we keep failing. And then at the end, we're like, do you know what? Maybe, maybe somebody somebody who got the food doesn't get beat that night because, you know, the connection of hunger and violence in our community is really well understood. Or maybe someone who watches one of our shows just has a different thought. Or maybe someone who reads this book or someone, maybe someone who listens to this or maybe, or maybe, or maybe. You have to travel hopeful because if you don't, then, then, then we run a subsidized theater company or literally we don't we don't have if it's not in hope we have no other way of valuing things we don't mm. we don't turn that money and turn it into a benefit to the tourist industry or the you know and, or, or mm. that oh i returned so much that how small are these ambitions like the hope of the fifteen thousand two hundred two food parcels that arrived one of them arrived in exactly the right moment in a moment of despair that changed someone's life mm. 
statistically, I th- I'm sure that happened. I just don't know which one. Yeah. So I have to travel. And you won't know. This is oh. the other thing. Like, if, if we're talking about kind of uh, inspiring young people or feeding children, that's a long-term investment, you know? But I think as well, like, a lot of this is about... Um, and this is something we say with Arts Emergency, which is allow yourself to believe that a better world is possible. Like, for yes. me, the great victory of the right in the modern world is how much it has convinced people not to dare to imagine there isn't a fucking boot stamping yeah. on their face. There's something yeah. I'm trying to write about at the moment, which is like people are so convinced that there's no way to take the boot off their face that they think is the best idea to lick it. And I'm like, it's fucking yeah. not. Like, yeah. like, like I, I, and, and also, you know, and I hope this isn't bleak, but if you look at kind of long-termism, when you were talking about the miners, what I was thinking about, and this is horrific, is how successful the far right in Britain has been in mainstreaming their ideas in the past 20 years, you know, and how despicable that is. Um, and how for us it's more crucial than ever that we have to hold the faith and think long term yeah. and plant seeds and not fall into bitterness and despair. And so I'm somebody who, you know, I felt deeply heartbroken after the 2019 election because for my mind, you know, it was the end of kind of 10 years of like meeting so many activists culminating, you know, so many things. And it was so upsetting to see kind mm. of that's so trampled and 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 the history of it so written uh by um the right-wing press um yeah but what i found really exciting and invigorating by your book was the fact that like of course just being like yeah sorry on you go there's so much more to be done and and what's so wonderfully exciting is the fact that like you are, are really really like committing out of love to your community not because it's some sort of like yeah i like the idea of doing this it's like understanding what it means to sort of take root in a place and to sort of to live it and love it and understand all of it and i feel like that is something that i would love like every artist i know to kind of think about and and i would love every person who i feel is political to think about as something that is so like important and purposeful also i'm mm. so wishy-washy sorry no not at all i think i, I mean we 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 settled in holbeck over 10 years ago holbeck is the best place in the world in, <laughs> in exactly the same way that, that south side you know, of glasgow is the best place in the world but i say exactly say. yeah it's 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 wherever you've got to die on a hill and once you're on the hill you're like this is my hill like that's the mm. that's the test of a commitment and 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 you know next time you're in leeds or take you around and you're like wow yeah in exactly the same way that if we could go to we go to somewhere in manchester an artist would go no this is the best place this is you're meant to fall in love with the places you serve mm-hmm. um because that's part of the job um i and, but we i mean we make shows all over the country that's our job and we go around and and, and after a little while we're like we're just going to become a firework company if we keep this up because mm. there's there's you know we our big shows have to happen in a place normally with a city and a, a number after it so you know liverpool away or, or hull 17 or wherever it is you, you're constantly going to a place desperately it's like speed dating desperately trying to catch up with this relationship yeah. and holbeck is our commitment to going why shouldn't these people have that a national award-winning theatre company here providing them with with room booking service and the odd cabaret and all the other gump that comes there should be benefits to having a theatre company we the governor's now at the local primary school and they ring up and say like so it's year six levers can you put something on and we're like yes we can because there should be 
it should be a benefit. Part of the part of doing this, people said, "Why is a theatre company running a food food bank?" And 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 I I never really got that question. I was like, "Well, what else are we meant to be doing?" And also because running a food bank is the only way we could justify being a theatre company, and also because we were so worried that when this was all over everyone would come back and we would just stand there kind of shamefully looking at the floor going, mm-hmm. so sorry, mm-hmm. we left you. It sort of, it felt so, but also because artists are seen as these fragile, like incompetent thing that comes and are beautiful and then whisks away. And I'm like, no, we organized 250 people to be in a show on a platform on water mm-hmm. and no one dies. Like mm-hmm. we're robust. You're robust. You're a political thinker and a comedian. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's that's not a fragile. Oh, and then I no, there's robustness there. You mm-hmm. already have to have those thoughts. And 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 too often, especially because performance is, it, you know, it's there and it's gone. It's constantly seen as weak. And I'm like, it's not weak. It's 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 something else. And this was our going. No, no, no. We can be responsible. We can if we've made a commitment to feed people. We can do this. Um, and do you find that I feel like it's so exciting when you realise that you're stepping out of the rules of commerce and when you realise that it's like uh, you're letting yourself imagine, oh, where's this quote? I read this great, uh, what is it called? Tweet, like tweet essay by a guy called Jonathan Moses, who is all about um, trespass and about mm-hmm. uh, the right to roam in England at the moment. And he says... Fences are a spell propping up an illusion that the world around us is a prison, that the beauty which surrounds us is not a collective inheritance, that we have no right to live free and rich with the natural world. We make the world in our minds before we live it and live the impoverished reality our mind has been trained to inhabit. The power of that spell diminishes with every transgression. Our daily trespasses are not to be forgiven but celebrated. The more you act as though the world is already free, the more it is. And like, I hope that's so obvious in terms of how it relates, but like, the more you create a better world, the more that better world exists. You know, you're already yes. living in the early days of a better world. And yes. um, I really wanted to say that. And I've forgotten the beginning yeah. of that thought because I get woken up every hour by a baby. No, I'm banking well enough. <laughs> but it's exactly, exactly that. The, the people the people who got most angry about the fact that we would run a non-means tested self before a food bank were the people who were running the food bank before us. Mm. That, that you go, no. Because they're like, how dare you break the rules? Yes, yes. And and I remember a councillor saying to us, like, you can't just promise to feed the world. And I'm like, I'm not promising to feed the world, but I am promising to feed the ward. So let's, <laughs> that's, just, that's seven and a half thousand households. Let's go. And they were like, yeah, but everyone's going to come for food. I said, then we'll find more food. This is, yeah. this is like, this is not the poverty of that ambition. This is, this is what the book really tries to get at is that we, when you look back, you go, oh my God, we thought we were like real heroes and all we were trying to do was this. And at the same time, he absolutely failed to do it. We absolutely did not achieve. You know, he just didn't, it didn't, it was just too many problems. And those two things have to meet and they have, I think they have to meet in endeavour. And I think that the thing that yeah. that the left now for me is just, it's just no narrative in which people feel heroic. And until they do, that's a, I think that's a real problem because well, the right... I- no no I agree sorry Uh, although I I think that what's wonderful about this book is it reminds me of just how much is going on and I think about councillors in Preston and how the Preston model was like a whole new development of how to win people round and I even think about what you're saying which is like when you're doing it you feel so heroic because when I was um 
a while back me and my friends a few times have done this stupid thing where we get a van and we perform shows off the back of the van almost impromptu in different sort of town and city centres um, and we did it partly because what we wanted to do it we, what we wanted to say is like if we can do this imagine what you can do just for yeah. fun like we're yeah. getting away with this and similarly I remember once a woman who ran a pub being really angry at us because she was like we tried to have a festival out here and they wouldn't let us with the council and you're doing it and I was yeah. like yeah here we are <laughs> and then um, but but it was it was exactly well, obviously what we were doing was not the same but we we do these shows and we would like give out free food and we were just spending this money that we got from sussex university <laughs> and me spending my money i was like fuck it we'll just do this and i remember thinking like it it felt so almost like fated yeah as we did these shows yeah. everything Every person we encountered, every sort of random thing that happened on it felt like this wonderful um, yep. happening. And yeah. Um, yeah, I looked back at it a while later and I was like, there's a very fine line between like these beautiful shows where once a hundred people showed up in an underpass in Leicester and it felt like life changing and me screaming in a bus shelter for like, what am I doing in the rain? <laughs> yes. And like, I think, yeah, you have to be committed wholly to it yep. and to sort of see the ridiculousness in the small scale of it. But also, like you say, like you have to find a hill and die on it. Like, I think part of getting older is going, I am one person with one life. I'm not I'm never going to be like, and then I swept in and did this, this, this and this. Particularly, I think, you know, the older I get as well, the more I sort of think it takes a certain kind of maniac to, to be yep. that, yep. that prominent. Yeah, but I think I think that's okay. I think that's, I, I think it all comes, as always, it always comes down to, to why, why are, why are we doing any of this? And, and the story and the, the story that is told is like, oh, well, uh, we, with your van shows, you didn't change the entire comedy circuit. So what really is the point? Because it still exists. And, you know, and, uh, and we still have palladium shows. So it's a failure. And you're like, well, no, hang on a minute. And it's exactly the same with, with the food bank and with the theatre. Where, you, where you're like, well, no, it is still the case that there are like five major organisations with with lords and ladies on the on the board that spend the vast majority of the money. Yes, I did not, in fact, dismantle the entire cultural makeup of our land in 400 years. However, there has been for the last 10 years a pay-what-you-decide theatre operating mm -hmm. entirely in South Leeds. And and the articles that are written about that and the and the and the buzz within the sector means that when we started doing pay-what-you-decide people called us naive little fuckers and they were so angry with us that that we had worked this maths out but and now it's there the anger single, isn't it yeah and now there's not a single arts organization and not just because of us absolutely that doesn't have some form of pay what you decide and of course like everything they're using it to prop up a system that doesn't really work they've not quite worked out the politics but but fundamentally that is a that is a sea change now it is not because of alan lane or because of sun low or because of the gang at work that did that but we contributed to it and in 20 years time things may well have got better in terms of access and in terms of because of arts emergency and because of all the other things that connect that and you would have contributed to it um but we live in a world of iron man and it just doesn't oh well because mm -hmm. in 30 seconds we didn't see the connection between your actions and a complete change in society and you're like well, no, you didn't. Yeah. Well, then you and should if have... you had, you would hate me and call me a dictator. Like, if I was yes. that powerful, yes. you'd fucking kill me or yeah. something. Like, yeah. imagine if you were like, yeah, yeah, I've just taken down all the major film studios and I'm coming for you next. Like, what? Yeah. What do yeah. I fucking want? Yeah, hey, and so you. stasis wins out every time. The yeah. idea that we well, can't really change it because we tried, we tried changing it 20 years ago and it didn't work. So mm -hmm. what are you even doing here? Um, 
and we still get that in Holbeck. We still get that. There's still there are still gatekeepers in Holbeck who are very annoyed that we marauded around the place doing these things, and that's fine. It's their job to be annoyed, and it's our job to be annoying. And slowly but surely, maybe maybe some kids have some amazing mm. experiences because of what we're doing. That's the only hope, and I, I think that's enough. Mm-hmm. Like, if a book says anything, mm. it's like you should definitely keep trying to do that because that's amazing. Um, mm. And I think as a space to inhabit in life, it makes your life, like not even in a selfish way, it makes your life wonderful and better and beautiful and meaningful. Like, I I, I mean, I'm I'm not somebody who like has never had periods of like bitterness or despair or anything like that. But at the same time, when I do manage to live in a space where I feel that there is potential and possibility and wonder everywhere, I have a much happier and better life for it. <laughs> like yeah. just yeah. on a very personal level, that's that to me is the key to a good a life well lived. Is like yeah. all of those threads combining with each other. I'm listen. I, I fully appreciate. It. I've been all over the shop and it's gone too quickly. But I just honestly, I'm just so in awe of your work and just Thank you. I I I loved reading your book because I was just like like Stuart Lee would say, I agreed the shit out of it. I just <laughs> love being like. Yeah, thank you. Correct. Yes. And and it, I think like the best things for for me particularly, it really, really made me feel like I wanted to up my game uh, and I wanted to recon like um, to, to go on anew, like to 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 try, uh, try, try to fail better, I suppose, again, because I think what what you say in the book and what you show is that like, you know, like you literally say that, you know, there's so much power that people have and that everybody has and that everybody is worthy of the same levels of, you know, luxury and wonder. And the only way we do it is by believing that and acting as if that's true. And like, I really was so happy to read it. And I really hope that I can come to Leeds and see you guys in real life. You'd be so welcome. Yeah, thanks. I'm sorry it's so quick, but yeah, I I really, really, because I saw you guys during the pandemic, I could see what you were doing, obviously, and I was like, that, that is what artists should do. They got the right idea, these guys. (laughs) So Thank you so much. That is brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on this. This has been fun. Well, I'm sorry to be incoherent, but hopefully we'll edit it and it will sound (laughs) good. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot. It's really nice to meet you. And like, I, 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 the last thing I want to ask really briefly is like, what's your plans now? Are you going back to the show about the Mayflower? What's the theatre company doing at the moment? Yeah, so uh, so we uh, currently have a, a show in the car park in, a, in an articulated lorry for primary school children. So uh, someone has found a Venusian spaceship but needs some help of some very clever children to open it. So that's in the, that's that literally amazing. as we speak. Yeah, that's good fun. And then that tours with a brilliant uh, producer called Fuel. Um, oh yeah, I know a few. Yeah, uh, so that's with them, and then we're actually we're actually moving. So we're going to move to a new venue in Holbeck. We're building a new theatre, a new family, yeah, a new family children's theatre, um, wow. in the warehouse next to the uh, primary school in Holbeck. Oh, wow. I think that might be a secret. I'm just removing oh. it. <laughs> that's uh, amazing. It doesn't matter. It's fine. It's fine. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, it'd be fine. Exclusive fine. on our show. <laughs> Exclusive um, scoop. Yeah. So yeah, so we're I'm um, oh, still still amazing. and still yeah, we um we're gonna make a we're gonna make a, a family friendly space and um put oh, theatre on in a warehouse. Yeah, I have to bring fun. my kids to it. Absolutely. Well, well listen, whenever you're up in Leeds, you're super welcome. Come by and we'll put the camera. Thank on. you. Thank you very much. That's amazing. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening. Alan's book is out now, The Club on the Edge of Town. 
from Salamander Street Publishing. Remember to sign up to Patreon to get access to all the extra goodies, including Josie's warm-up gigs for her new Edinburgh show, patreon.com slash bookshambles. Rate, like, review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all those places. Back next week with another new episode. Until then, take care, stay safe, and bye for now. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.